Well, for those of you that aren't able to join us today, you're missing out. We have some great and exciting news for those of you that have been here already and have been uh, watching us uh, build on the outside and the things that are going on. We are ready and we are prepared to start going outside. And uh, as you know, we have uh, our amphitheater set up. We have uh, venues that are coming up this in the fall. We have things that are going to be doing uh, that, that we can uh, host uh, other people uh, for events. And, uh, well, there's a lot of great things going on out there. The best thing is, first of all, that you're here. Amen? That you're here, and we're here to seek His face in His place. And we come to worship and to give our adoration to God. And, yes, it's true. You can do this just about anywhere. And I, I want you to know that you can worship at home. Uh, you can go up into the mountains and worship and give your adoration to God there. You can go just about anywhere and do so. But there's nothing quite like the body coming together and being able to do so corporately. And this is one of the things that we, we, I've been challenged with. And so here's what we're doing the best we can is with what we have. And so I want to thank you for those of you that are attending and for those of you that are watching online. Please let us know that you were there. Say hello. Uh, and just know that I can't see those hellos. I see them later. And I will respond to them. But let us know how we can pray for you as well. And uh, that has been given to us uh, on a number of occasions. So, but for, though, for, for now, let's open up our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I will be reading out of uh, verses 11 through verse 21. Motivation to preach the gospel. Motivation to preach the gospel. Last week, we talked a little bit about how to endure. Endure to the end. Enduring to the end is one of the things that is difficult for a lot of us. We want out. We don't want to be in pain. We don't want to be uh, uncomfortable. We don't want to be, well, you name it. And we have so many different ways and reasons and, and just all kinds of ways on how to get out of our pain. We can medicate it. We can just not get involved. We can uh, do all kinds of things to stay away from the inconvenience, I guess you would say, of what the world throws at us. And I think that the older we get, the more we look to a place that we can find this peace, this solace. And we talked about that last week, that there's things that we can look at according to what Paul was telling us. He was showing us last week on how we can become uh, endurers or endure. In verse 6 of chapter 5, last week, we talked about enduring to the end, where he says, we, so we are also of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And what Paul is talking about, of course, is our physical body. While we're here at this place, this is our temporary house, our tent, our jar of clay. And so we look at this and we see this, and it's sometimes very discouraging when we, when we see the things that are going on within our body and we think, when, Lord, when? And just remember that there is a place and there is a time that God is going to call us home to himself. And then he goes on to verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. How can Paul be of good courage? If you remember correctly, Paul had been beaten. Paul had been imprisoned. Paul had starved. Paul had been, was bitten by a snake and almost died. Uh, Paul has been left for dead. He was imprisoned, and finally he was beheaded. And even in prison, as he wrote the book uh, to the people in Philippi, he says, you know, rejoice! Rejoice in the Lord, and I'll say it again, rejoice, because he was always of good courage, and we found out last week as to why it is that he was in good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That is our goal, that is our desire, that is what we want to do. As a people, as a church, as an individual, as a family, we want to please God. We want to strive for holiness, not happiness, but holiness. That's why Jesus Christ died for us. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There is coming this judgment seat. It is called the Bema seat, the seat that is elevated, and it's the, the one seat that they bring you to. They stand you there in front of the court. 
to give out those things that are due to you. Now, we look at this in a negative sense, and people are talking about judgment or about the, the penalty of sin. And as we talked about last week, the penalty of sin has already been taken care of. So this is not that judgment. This is the judgment of the things that we do here on this planet. I know many people are thinking, all I need to do is just get in. I'll hold the door. And that's, if that's all you want me to do, I'll hold the door. But beloved, there are gifts that God is desiring to give to you according to what needs to be done. Salvation is not by works, okay? Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. We know that. However, the gifts, those that which will receive what is due to us, and that what's been done in the body, whether good or whether bad. And we talked about that last week. Not everything we do is necessarily evil, but it's not going to get into heaven. There are a lot of things that we're doing around our facility, for instance. Planting grass is not going to get to heaven. Can you imagine me, Pastor Sal? You know, I, I put a lot of work into this, and I, I'm taking this grass with me. They're going to look at me and say, why is he doing that? There's streets of gold up here. Why, why do you want to bring that up there for you? For? you know, it makes no sense. There are things that are going to be brought up. And this is what I want to talk to you about today. Because as Paul is, is sharing with us this morning on the things that are going to last, are the things that we do for Christ, are, are the words that we use, are, are, the, uh, are the examples that we give. It's what God has done for us and what we can do for Him. Let me read verses 11. And I'm going to read the rest of the chapter. Follow along with me as best you could with my eyesight and lighting and, well, just the way I just fumble and stumble through things. But let's do the best we can in verse 11, chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians, and it reads like this. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father in heaven, you've given us a command. You've given us a commission. You've given us a concern to be committed with compassion for those that are lost. You've given us a message. And that message is to be given to the people that we know, because you have called us to help in, in this re reconciliation. We know it's not by our power. We know it's not by what we say or do, but it's about who you are. But you've asked us to reconcile this world back to you now that we've been reconciled. And so, Father, help us to get a grip on this portion of Scripture, how it is that we are to be motivated to preach the gospel. Preaching is seen as the pastor's job. Preaching the gospel is seen as the evangelist, the Billy Graham, the Greg Glory. Preaching the gospel is seen sometimes as someone standing on the corner, Father in heaven, that message of reconciliation you have given to each one of us. Help us to learn how to persuade, how to speak, how to tell the truth. We don't have to be theologians. All we need to know is your truth. 
So I pray that this morning and throughout the rest of this month as we continue to hammer in on the gospel, hone in on the gospel, and find out and understand how it is that we proclaim this and how we share this with others, Lord, I pray that you give us the the understanding, the knowledge, the boldness, especially in these days when our voice is being squashed, sequestered, silenced. Our gatherings are being banished and even outlawed. And I pray, Father, that you give us a bold, loud voice wherever we are, whether in this building, in this facility, whether in our homes, in our workplace, wherever we are. Thank you, Father, I pray that you lead us in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. So Paul is showing us what it is to do and how it is that we are to endure. We talked about that last week. We talked about enduring to the end. And as he said here in verse 9, whether we are uh, away from home or we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before God. And, and as Paul wrote that, you know, we all have to stand up before God. And, and as I mentioned last week, he's going to show us, he's going to give to us what it is that we have received. And the only way that he can do that, he's going to say, okay, for this, this is what you'll receive. And this just doesn't seem to make it up here. And and sometimes this verse has been taken as, well, when you get up to heaven, God's going to put it on this huge screen TV. You think you have a big screen TV. God's got a huge, big screen TV, and everybody is going to be watching.
What God's going to do, he's going to show you. He's going to show every one of you your actions, your deeds. And, and so as Paul is preaching this, he is like, you know, the, the, that, that compels me. That, that consumes me. That concerns me. That, that is commanding me. That I'm, I'm, I'm moved and controlled by the Holy Spirit to, to go out and proclaim this good news. And so the first thing that Paul shares with us is in number one, I am consumed by the fear of the Lord. You want motivation? You want motivation to be able to, to share the gospel, to preach the gospel? Be consumed by the fear of the Lord. Verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, he says, I, 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 I got to know this fear of the Lord. And, and it's not that Paul is afraid. And I know I'm speaking to the choir when I say this. It's not a, a fear that you want to run away from. It's a fear of violating, of offending a holy God especially when we know that he is the one that has commanded us to preach the gospel. And he says, you know, it's not that fear of running from God. I'm terrified of this monster that's going to squash me. I, I just want to make sure that I do what he's called me to do. In the next verse, you'll see in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, when we went through this, he says, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me, he says, if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me. Woe to me. Oh, I. Oh, I, he says, is the Greek term. Oh, I. It's, it's kind of like a, uh, what is that, an onomatopoeia. It's like one of those words like bam or boom. Oh, I. He says, and Jesus used this word often when he was pronouncing curses on the city of Chorazon and Bethsaida and, and Capernaum. Woe, woe is you, cities, for, for doing these things. This woe is I is the same word that is uh, that, that Isaiah used in Isaiah chapter 6. And, and, and that is like, you know, I, I am afraid, fearful of the retaliation of what is going to happen if I don't get this done. Paul says, what was if I do not preach the gospel? I was preaching the, uh, at a funeral one time for some friends of ours, and, and uh, a lot of our, our friends had showed up from different places of the ministry of BFC, and one, one comment was made to me afterward was by this, this lady. She says, you know, Pastor Sal, I always appreciate that every time you give a funeral, you always preach the gospel. And my first response was, well, you know, well, I'm afraid what would happen if I don't. <laughs> I've got to preach the gospel. The gospel has got to be presented succinctly, and it has to be presented in such a way that it, it, it's understandable. It's got to be presented in such a way that it is compelling. Paul is saying, I, I am persuaded. I need to persuade others about what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I need to persuade others about their sin. I need to persuade others of what's happening because of their sin in their life. And it's amazing, as we've been talking, how a lot of people just, you know, treat sin as if it's no big deal. It's no big deal to be in sin. And on top of that, it's no big deal to even have sin within the church. And it's, it is a big deal. It's a huge deal. And we need to be, you see, your presentation of your salvation needs to be an explanation of your regeneration. I learned that from my old pastor. But your, your explanation, your presentation of the salvation that you hold, and, it, and if you don't have a story, uh, some what you were before and what you are now, the problem with a lot of born-again people is that they're born right again into what they used to be. There is no difference. There's no clear-cut line. There's no line drawn in the sand from the old to the new, as we're going to learn here in just a little bit. And Paul says, you've got to give this present. You've got to persuade people. You've got to talk to them. And you've got to let them know what God has done for you. And let it also be known, also, to your conscience that this is what God has done. And, and understand this. And this fear that Paul had was a reverent fear of, I don't want to offend God. If he told me to do this, I need to do that. Church, we need to fear God and understand. That's what he's asked us to do in, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and on. He says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? 
but to fear the Lord your God. And the rest of those verses say this, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statues of the Lord, which I am commanding you today. And you know why? It's for your good. It's for your good. But what is it about the Lord that built up this fear in, in, in Paul? And I'm sure it had to do with the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. He says, rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul. We are so afraid of gathering. We are so afraid of speaking. We are so afraid because of what may happen. Now, I'm not asking you to go out and make yourself a martyr. I'm not asking you to go out and stand in front of a violent mob and proclaim Jesus Christ. What I am asking is that you follow what the Lord himself has said to you, to proclaim the gospel boldly. Persuade people around you. Talk to them. Share with them what the love of Christ is and what he's done for you. You see, the fear of the Lord, as it says in Proverbs chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Don't you see that happening now? It's like people don't want to know anything about God. But as you share, as you share, you'll come across people that'll say, tell me more. Tell me more of what it is that you are, are so convinced of. You are so committed to, tell me more. And there is where you start to open up and bring what God has given you to share. Proverbs 16.6 says, Be steadfast, love and faithfulness, uh, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. The fear of the Lord keeps you steadfast, keeps you focused, keeps you going in the right directions. Number two, motivation. Motivation to preach the gospel. I am concerned for the church. I am concerned for the church. Paul says, we're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. Paul's compassion, Paul's concern, and as I've said this over and over again, Paul has written at least four letters. He's visited this church. He is so in love with this church. He wants the best for this church. And and all of a sudden, we have people come in, and they are accusing Paul of not being a true apostle. And he's defending himself. And he says, you know, I'm not commending myself. We're not doing that again. You know, you you should be recommending us. You shouldn't be listening to these voices, but giving uh, you cause to boast. You you should at least proclaim, you know, what Paul has been saying has changed our life. Yes, he might be a little eccentric. Yes, he might be a little out of his mind. You know, he goes out and really just confronts all kinds of political and, and all kinds of other movements that he's just going up against gods and other gods and no gods and and he's bringing all this together and he seems to be very radical but he loves Jesus Christ church beloved you can say the same thing about your pastor your pastor might be a little radical he might be out of his mind but please know that he loves Jesus Christ And what Paul is trying to do is he's got this concern for the church because when that doubt, when that stuff starts to come in within the church, when that starts to to fester, then all of a sudden you have all these different groups of people talking against the pastor, against the leadership, against everyone else within the church. And it's, it's inevitable. It happens at every church. Well, you know, I don't even agree with what he said today. You know, I mean, that's just his truth. You know, sometimes he gets a little way way out there. You know, focus on the fact that your pastor loves you and loves Jesus Christ and is willing to do whatever it takes to get the message of Jesus Christ preached and talked talked about and help you in your heart to be able to give that same response. Paul's concern was, you know, there are a lot of people out there uh, so that so that you may boast, you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances. The, Paul, Paul had this group of people that had this outward appearance of being holy, of being whatever, holier than thou, righteous, better than Paul, more eloquent, and, and these people were swaying the church. 
Beloved, you need to be solidified in the fact that as the present, whoever the leader is, the church of the past, the pastor of the church, you need to follow your pastor. You need to trust your pastor. And if there's some issues, some things that just doesn't don't make any sense, bring them to his attention. Talk to your pastor. And I'm talking to many people right now because some of you have a pastor that you might have some issue with. And you might be thinking maybe for the first, second, or third time, you know, this looks like a pretty good church. Don't come here just because of that. You stay in your church and you deal with the issues there. That's where God has called you. You stay there. And you love your pastor. You pray for your pastor. You want a new pastor? Pray for your pastor. Ask God to just fill him with this Holy Spirit to be able to lead this flock. Number three, I am committed to the truth. What, mo- what motivation do I have to preach the gospel? What motivation can you have to preach the gospel? Be committed to the truth. Paul says, for if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. They were saying that Paul's out of his mind, beside himself, is the Greek word outside of himself. Paul is not himself. He's not, he's not real. He says one thing and, and it seems like he's doing something else. And, and he's just always in your face about being good and doing this. You know, he's, he's a madman, they were saying of Paul. He's out of his mind. And Paul says, okay, well, if I'm out of my mind preaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm doing it for God. God has called me to preach this gospel. But if we are in our right mind, it is for you. I come to you in sober-mindedness. I come to you in, in prayer. I come to you with understanding that God desires for you to live a holy life. It's to your benefit. Not to mine, Paul says. I, I already know what I have to do. It's to your benefit that you learn how to live a holy life. But we want to be happy. We desire all this stuff that people are bringing into this church. And they were bringing in all kinds of stuff. We talked about that in 1 Corinthians. And they were bringing in all kinds of teachings and all kinds of movements. And they were just, everybody was doing their own thing. And Paul says, it's not about being happy. That's not why Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ died to make you holy. And the truth, everybody wants to hear the truth until you tell them the truth about them. Everybody wants to hear the truth as long as it aligns to their truth. Everybody wants to hear the truth, but some people just can't swallow it. They can't handle the truth. I don't know if you've ever saw that movie, but if you haven't, I'm sure that you know the phrase, you can't handle the truth. I forget even which movie it is, but it's, you know what I'm talking about, right? And as a matter of fact, I come to find out that Jack Nicholson, when he did that, he was just ad-libbing. He threw that in there, and they kept it, and it's become a very famous line now. But that's basically what happens with a lot of people. You have truth in your hands. When you carry God's word within your heart, you have truth. And you know, right now, more than anything else, nobody wants to hear the truth. And this is what Jesus said in John 14, 17. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. You share the truth, regardless of what people think and say. You share the truth. And most cannot even see it. But you allow the Holy Spirit to take that truth and embed it in their heart to open their eyes. One of the reasons people can't see the truth is Romans 1.25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than creator. What they are doing, what people have done is exchanged the truth for a lie. But Paul is saying, you know, if we are besides ourselves, it is for you, for God. If, it is, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. And when I'm in my right mind, when I'm sober-minded, Paul is saying, I'm telling you the truth. I'm sharing this truth with you because I am compelled to share this with you. Number four, I am compelled by the love of Christ. I am compelled because of what Jesus Christ did for me. He says, for the love of Christ controls us, compels us, moves us forward, has us doing the one thing that we should have been doing from the very beginning. Because we have concluded this, he says, that one has died for all, therefore 
all have died. There is something very unique about this verse that some people take and they use it for their understanding and for their ability to try to progress or move forward with their their own agenda is that word all. And we have to kind of stop there a little bit. And I'm not going to get into it today. Uh, As a matter of fact, I was I was I was trying to. But as I was going through this whole uh, message, it's going to take me a little bit longer to really just expound on that even more so. Because if you take this as it says that Christ died for all, therefore all have died. Okay, then that, that means that we are now to be teaching universalism, meaning that everybody gets saved. Doesn't matter what they did, doesn't matter where they go. And that's kind of in the same thought that we are in today. Most people believe that if you die, you go to heaven. That's just, that's just a given. Everybody believes that uh, in, in the United States, most of the world, if you die, you get to go to wherever it is that you're going to go to. And regardless of what you might have done, well, God will let you in because you might have done some good things that will get you in. So, And this verse kind of seems to back that up. Well, Christ died for all. All of them. And all have died. So therefore, well, just, just continue to preach the universalism that we have. That it's, it's all, everybody included. That's not what it's teaching. It doesn't. And, and I'll explain that to you as we go along. Because... What Paul says is, I'm compelled by the love of Christ and how he's died for me and what he's done for me and what he's done for you, the elect. What he's, what he's done for those that he died for. Those all. And, and this verse, I used it earlier, but I like the NIV translation. He says, yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. There is this compelling effect that happens when you know that Jesus Christ what he's done for you, what he's done for for your family, what he's done for the world. And once again, if that is not compelling enough to help you to preach the gospel, to share the message of Jesus Christ to other people, then there's a disconnect somewhere. There's a disconnect. Either you've not genuinely received the salvation that God wants you to have, or you're just being disobedient. And when we're disobedient to the call of God, and we're disobedient within our lives, then there's something wrong. We're believing a lie that we don't have to do that. All I have to do is just go to church and pray and and let God figure it out. Because isn't that what you're teaching? Aren't you saying that we are chosen? That God chooses everyone? Everyone's elect? Everyone's predestined? So then why even preach the gospel? Because of the fear of the Lord, because he told me, because that's part of my command. That love, that love that God gave me through Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What's going to separate us from that love of Christ? Nothing, nor heights, nor depths, nor wits, angels, demons, death, nothing will separate us from that love of Christ. And that love that Christ has given us, we need to share that with other people. That is the motivation to preach the gospel. Number five, because I have compassion for the lost. And it's unfortunate that most people have not compassion, but they have contempt for the lost. I can't believe that guy. Look at him. I mean, the way we look at people, the way we respond to people, and, and the way we see people. And, you know, I, I'm to blame. I'm, I'm at fault at that as well. I can confess that I've done that with some people. Not all of you. I mean, when, I mean not any of well, you. Let me just stop right there. I, I can be driving down the road and, and see somebody that is, you know, that is of low means and, and, and doesn't have, it seems to be homeless and, and just all the things that, that go along with that stereotype and that stigma. Oh my God, I can't believe. And they're, they're coming into my neighborhood now. And, and you know, they're, they're pitching, you know, and I can do that. And I've done that before. And, and I've tried to condition myself because of the compassion that I should have for the lost, and I do have for the lost. I, I see a person like that, and I'm going to challenge you to do the same thing. Pray for them. As you drive by, just, Lord, whatever is going on in that person's head, his mind, his life, Father, Bring somebody. Be that somebody if you can. Help that person. Now, this is very dear to my heart because there are a lot of people that are out there that are hurting. And we can't help everyone. We can try. 
And if people don't want, you can't help people that don't want help. You just can't. But you can pray for them as you drive by. Instead of having contempt for them. Instead of trying to stay away from them. Now please, once again, don't put yourself in the line of danger, but you can pray for people. Because that love of Jesus Christ, we don't know how far that's going to go in their life. Who shall separate us? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 15 says, And he died for all, there it is again, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for who their sake died and was raised. This is what he did. He died for all. Read that together in verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. You don't live for yourself anymore. You live for Christ. Because Christ died for all, and now it is my responsibility, and should be my motivation to preach the gospel to every individual that I come in contact with. Now granted, not everybody's going to want to hear. Not everybody's going to want to listen. Their hearts, hearts are so hardened. Their eyes are so closed. They have, been, they have exchanged the truth for a lie. I'm not asking you to try to beat it over their head. You open up, you share the gospel. If they respond, you keep sharing. If they don't, move on to the next person. Move on. But that should be your motivation. You should be consumed by the fear of God. You should be concerned for the church that the gospel is being preached and preached correctly. You should be committed to the truth. You should be compelled by the love of Christ. And you should have compassion for the lost. You should have compassion for the lost. Number five, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Paul says. I don't size people up and think, okay, well, they're doing well, so they must be, they must be Christians. And they're not doing well, so, you know, we're going to talk to them. Don't look at the flesh. Don't look at the outward appearance. There are a lot of very lonely, decrepit, successful people. People that seem to have it all together, but they forgot where they put it. People that seem to be living according to the flesh, according to my sight, according to what I see. And they need to have the love of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new comes. How do you know that they have the love of Christ? How do you know? that they have received the gospel message. How do you know? It's because they've changed. They no longer have that old life. They now have a new life. There is a clear line drawn in the sand. There is clear distinction from what they used to be to what they are now. There is clear distinction of what used to happen and what's happening now. There is that, it's, it's, black, and, it's black and white, night and day. And that is that changes their language, that changes their appearance, that changes everything they are about them. And you become a new creation, not the old creation. In Romans chapter 9 says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. He says, I want everybody to know this. I want everyone to know the gospel. I want everyone, I would do whatever it takes. He says, you know, I will even go to the lengths of saying, you know, God, just take me out of the picture. Take my salvation away and give it to somebody else. That's how much compassion he had for his people. I'm speaking the truth in Christ, he says. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish if it was possible, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, beloved, that is some compassion. That is, some compa that is a compassion that maybe a mother might pray for her child. That is a compassion that maybe a wife might pray for her husband. That is some compassion that maybe a very close, close person might say, you know, just take it away from me. I want them to have it. But this is a compassion that we are called to have on God's children. And we need to share the gospel message with people. And the last thing I want to share with you is I'm commanded to preach. I am commanded to preach is what I've been sharing with you. 
I've been sharing that with you this morning. And this, too, goes with next week's message. I'm just going to touch on it very quickly. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Let me stop there. You, us, we, those that are in Christ, there are new creations, the old is gone, the new has come. Those of us that have committed our life to Jesus Christ, he has given us that ministry, the diakonos, that what we do for him of reconciliation. In the New Testament or in the Greek of the Bible, Paul's the only one that uses that word reconciliation. He uses it over and over again in various places. But you have that to reconcile, to bring together, to, to it's, it's a, it's a, um, a money term. It's to balance things out. It's to make things even. It's to bring God to the point where men can see it and to bring men up to where God can see, where they can see God. And, and it's to reconcile, to, to balance it out, to, to be able to make it known that, that both God and sinner are reconciled. And that is the, the one truth that we preach during Christmas, the, the, the holiday of, of Jesus' birth. And we know that he wasn't born that day. But during that time, we say this is God the man, Jesus Christ, came to make that even. To give you the salvation that God wanted to give you. And he's reconciling the world. We are his agents of reconciliation. And he goes on to say, this in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. He was already doing this. He's, he's already been taking care of this, but he wants you to get involved. Now, beloved, if that doesn't frighten you, that should at least give you some sense of dignity. God wants to use me. He wants to use me in this whole process of salvation. Yes, he does. That he wants to, in Christ, he was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Now, through this passage, once again, people will take that and say, you see, God forgives all our sins. Once, once we die, he forgives us. We, we all go to heaven. That's not what he's saying. We'll get into that. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Do you know what it means to have trust? Has anybody ever trusted you with a very valuable motorcycle? I don't let anybody drive my motorcycle. Hardly ever. I don't think I have, except for my son. You know? And I, I had the honor and the privilege the other day to drive my brother Ken's motorcycle. He, he let me drive it. I mean, and that's, that to me is, you know, an honor. But how many times have you been entrusted with something of value that was of, of intrins- a lot of value. And not necessarily of mon- monetary value, but it, it belonged very, it's something very precious to somebody that it belonged to. And, and multiply that over 10,000. Just multiply that over infinity. God has given you. He's entrusting us. He's trusting you. He's trusting you in this message of reconciliation to reconcile the world to him. And people need to see who God is. They need to get away from all this hype that the church has put up and all these smoke screens and everything else. And people need to see that they are lost. And there is a Savior. And the Savior is there. And God has sent him. This is who God is. Now, as I mentioned earlier, not many people are going to want to hear that message. But that's the truth. And it is your responsibility, my responsibility, if you've already committed your life to Christ, if he's already woken you up, if he's already given you the spirit of salvation, then it is your job and my job to share and to preach the gospel. Preaching the gospel is a job seen for pastors and evangelists, as I stated in the beginning. But, you know, preaching is basically speaking, saying it. Not necessarily from a platform or on TV or anywhere else. It's just proclaiming it. The gospel is the good news. It's not a, a, a formula. It's not anything that you have to the ABCs or the 123s or the Roman road or, or the cross or whatever the case may be. It's not a 16-course a evangelism explosion class that you need to take. 
It's the good news of what Jesus Christ has done in your life from where you used to be and what you're doing now and what God is doing in you now. There needs to be a very sincere and a very profound evaluation done in every heart and find out what has God done for me? How has he changed me? Not what has he done for me lately, but how has he changed me from what I used to be to what I am now? Because that was taken care of on the cross. That in itself should be motivation enough to share the message of Jesus Christ with others. Paul goes on to say a little bit later for, and this is very interesting, because when we talk about this next week, 13 words in Greek, 13 words in verse 21. Read this with me. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Many pastors and evangelists and theologians have been asked in the past, if there was one verse, if there was one verse that you would pull out of the Bible and that's all you had, which one would you use? Well, some people go to John 3.16 and this verse gives us everything that we need that takes care of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament to what Jesus Christ and took upon himself in the New Testament. For our sake, he, which is God, made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin. That in itself, beloved, is what the gospel is all about. And we'll dive into that next week. But right now, let us be motivated, at least consumed by the fear of the Lord. Let us be motivated, at least for the concern for the church. Let us be motivated by committed by being committed to the truth, by just being compelled by the love of Christ, by the compassion for lost people. And understand, this is a command. Go, he says, and make disciples. Go and preach the gospel. Go, that is your job as a Christian. That is my job. That is your job. That's all, all our job to do this on a regular basis. Let me ask you to stand as we prepare for our Lord's table this morning. We have what's called open communion. Open communion is uh, basically stating that if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ and been baptized according to the scriptures, we, uh, we invite you to partake with us on this um, uh, Lord's table. We, we do a, a, a portion of um, reflection, first and foremost, and ask God to help us to, as we continue to move away from our sin and closer to holiness. And we ask God to, to be with us this morning. So as uh, right after I pray, for those of you that like to partake, it's been separated. Uh, we've got that, uh, well, it's been separated. I'll go as far as that. I don't think it's been sprayed with Lysol, no. But it's been, it's, it's taken care of. Uh, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll come back together and we'll, we'll partake that together. So, Father in heaven, I just want to thank you again for your word. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this portion of scripture to, to meditate on, to chew on, to, to expound on, to learn a little more about what our responsibility is and the motivation that you've given us already and just the fact that you have saved us and pulled us out of the fiery pit. I believe that that is motivation enough for many of us as we share with other people. You've given us circles of influence. And some have more influence than others. But that doesn't negate the fact that each one of us are to do what we can with what we've been given. You've given some one talent, five talents, ten talents. And it's not the amount of talents we have, it's what we do with them. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to, to see that in the grand scheme of things. So, Father, as we prepare for your table, the table that Jesus Christ prepared for us on the cross, help us to search within our hearts and to ask for forgiveness on where we have been disobedient in these six points, where we have been disobedient in serving you, where we have been uh, in sin throughout this week, and just the reconciliation that we continue to have, we should have, and, and be able to reconcile others as well. So we thank you, Lord, for this moment of worship, of being able to partake of this 
meal, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.